0: All right, I'm going to go ahead and kick kick off pretty soon or right now, and uh, just feel free if you still need to grab some coffee, go for it or water or whatever you need there, and make your way to your seats, and we will carry on. So, Lord, we just lift up your name. We thank you. We thank you for all the opportunities we have to worship. We thank you specifically for this time this morning that we get to lift up our voices. We get to lift up our, our hands. We, could, we get to try and whistle and, and fail miserably, but still trying because we want to lift up your name and just celebrate you. Lord, we, we recognize that David, a man after God's own heart, when he said, I will become more foolish than this. Yes. Just that. We want to emulate that, that we come to that place, Lord. Help us, Lord to get to that place where we completely deny ourselves. I'm not going to get naked right now. But David was running around in his underwear, and his wife had said, what do you do when you're the king of Israel and you're running around in your underwear embarrassing yourself? And that's when he said, I will become more foolish than this, because God is worth it. We thank you for that freedom to be able to deny ourselves and lift up our voices and lift up our hands. To lift up our voices whether they're in key or out of key. To lift up our voices whether we really know the words or we kind of don't. Again, to attempt that whistle. To deny ourselves and just lift our hands. No matter who's behind us or in front of us. And say, Father God, I don't care about what's going on in here in the world right now. My eyes are focused on you and you are worthy to be lifted up and celebrated. Our mind's eye goes to the image of heaven right now with the holy hosts, the angels. I mean, what number of angels are up there? I, I imagine an infinite amount. And they're all bowing down the knee and praising the name of Jesus Christ. How much more so would we be, should we be lifting your name up, Jesus? Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that we don't have to stop worshiping just because the songs end. But as we step out every morning, doing our very best to reflect you into this lost and dying world, that even those are acts of worship. We sang today, on the altar of my life. Christ be magnified on the altar of my life. What happens in the altar? Lord, we recognize that what happened on the altar is sacrifices. We lay lay our lives down, Lord. We profess it right now. Help us, Lord, to really have it be a revelation that stirs our hearts and brings us to change. That we lay down our life as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship, to live out the rest in the manner you call us to, that we could be effective for the kingdom because we're already saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. Thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, um, you know, God's had us on a path and it's been fun, I think. I've been really uh, just enjoying the path this arc he's had us on with um, bringing us into spiritual maturity. We spoke, I think he started us out on uh, just capturing our thoughts, you know. And after that sermon, it was funny because John uh, turned me on to this uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf and i started listening to her stuff and we got some books already now i mean we're in man thank you very much for that um just an awesome resource because though i don't believe that our supernatural god requires the laws of nature to do his will right but god did create the world he created our chemistry he created everything so he can use anything to do what he calls to do i mean it's kind of down to like god can heal supernaturally clearly but God can heal through doctors, too. You know, uh, I love this. And I'll, I'm turning you on to it so you can check it out, too. It's just amazing how um, this doctor talks about we take captive the thoughts of our mind. And I'm not going to preach the whole thing, but I'm going to paraphrase real quick because I promised. That I would not go super long, and I'm already looking at the clock. Oh man, this could go really long. All right, so I'm not going to totally repreach, but as we take captive the thoughts, right? We we have thoughts that we have that outside inputs from the world, a hostile world to the gospel, a hostile world to the truth, a world that is owned and operated by the devil, biblically speaking, right? With specific designs to do everything he can to separate us from the love of Christ, right? Or, at very least, even if you're saved, to render us ineffective to bring others into salvation, to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, right? So we have these bombardments from the outside and, and these, these inputs of, you know, all kinds of depravity and this and that and the other thing, ungodly things, clearly. And we, ha- we receive them and we make decisions about them because we were designed as creatures with free will. So we receive this input and we decide what to do with it and then we turn it into a thought that comes from the inside it becomes part of our character right because we have thoughts that come from the outside we receive it we make decisions on it you know and and, and then we um and then we act on that decision so that also turns into the thoughts that well up from the inside and that is also thinking it's also what we're supposed to be taking captive and giving to Jesus hey take this thing away from me Lord because I want to be like you right? And these things affect what gets put into our operating system. And then the operating system is those thoughts when you're sitting there at night or just driving and you're just wondering I almost went like this, driving and uh, just starting to wonder things. And you're also welling these things up from your character and your inside thoughts. And you're making decisions about them. And you're either reinforcing them or you're getting rid of them right? I am re-preaching this, dang it. <laughs> now, what's cool, and it's encouraging, because I'm like, that makes sense. That was like a revelationary to me. Maybe you guys have already known this, but as I, as God put that on my heart, I was like, man, that's so clear to me. That's so simple, that I've been saved. I've been brought from death into life. My heart's desire is to look more and more like Christ. I'm trying to turn this big boat around, and it's going slowly, but it's moving, and that's good enough, you know, and we're going to stumble and fail on the same old stumbling blocks of sin that we've input into our operating system over like for me like 20 some odd years or maybe 30 some odd years before i was saved of bad habits and bad thoughts and and this dr carolyn lee she kind of points it out from a neurological point and i thought that was beautiful because she says look at the brain it's constantly evolving and moving and changing and growing And these neural pathways, as you take these outside inputs and you make thoughts and and, an attitude, an opinion, oh, that's stupid, that's lame, that's great, that's awesome, that's beautiful, I like that, I don't like that, all those things, they affect where these neural pathways grow in your brain pretty quickly, massively quickly. You know, the brain is amazing. And it changes. And it has an impact on what wells up from the inside. Because what wells up from the inside is completely physically affected by where these pathways go, right? And we want to change those things. And here's the beautiful news: is all the th- stuff for 30 years, 20 years, 19 years, 12 years, whatever. All those negative thoughts that we took and we ran with it, or fantasized about it, or let it have a negative and build a negative pathway in our physical brain, they can be killed, and reprogrammed and changed. There's nothing in there that's permanent. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Because when he calls us to be transformed into a new creation, from death into life that one day, that one one degree change, I know I've re- rephrased this and, and I can't help it because I think it's the theme, is we were brought from death to life, that's done, the finished work cross, it's over. You will sin, you will stumble, you will fail. The sins were forgiven of the past, the sins were forgiven of the present, and the sins were forgiven of your future sins. Now that doesn't say take sin lightly and just flippantly go through life and do what you want to do because we're living under grace and it's okay. If you've been saved, then you're going to go, be going through a transformative process. Yes. But give yourself a break and know that it takes some time and there are going to be expected failures. God was ready for this. He's not surprised. It's that unrepentant continuous sin then I would question whether or not you've been saved yet because you can't live like that. I know from my experience there was a difference right away as as I was leaving my life, doing my thing, whatever, had a bad attitude, super selfish, loved doing whatever, partying, having fun, fighting, being hateful. I loved hate. That was, I think I already expressed. For my testimony, you said drug of choice, and I've done a bunch of them and played around and partied and other stuff, but my favorite was hate. It warmed me up from the inside, from the inside. There's the difference. As I noticed that in the shift from death to life, There was a difference from where that sin came from. I was a new creation. And I know for me, even if I looked back in the day, two days after I was saved, I wouldn't recognize a difference right away from the outside and everything, activity and actions, it all looked the same. But I know this, the hate was habitual hate as opposed, and my response to the outside world because I was used to it. But it wasn't welling up who I was anymore. And again, that was a lot of hate that was... Into a tight, gnarly ball of death that was just stuck in the middle. And man, when we talk about that, the clay, right? I can only imagine. I can only imagine, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How much work must have taken place to get that thing out. You know? And is it gone completely? I mean, I don't know, but I feel like it is. <laughs> you know? I feel like it is. You know? <clears throat> So why are we called into spiritual maturity? Why does he want us to train our brains? And again, I started with he had us on that path of of changing our thinking so we could transform our outside character. Because we're done being saved. Now we need to move into discipleship. All right? We need to protect our eyes. I I think the next thing we moved into was the tongue, controlling the tongue, right? That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. Another revelation of the power of speech. I love my wife's career. I think it's so interesting. I don't think I express it very much, babe. But I am totally enamored with language. I love the history of language. I don't know that much about it, but I like YouTubing around and and learning new things and, and how language came about. But the power of it's amazing, especially when you start thinking about the brain and thoughts and memories and attitudes and opinions. And were these creatures that were designed and developed to be able to take, I could take my idea, and turn it into these wavelengths, these um, air vibrations. And you have a mechanism also that turns those silly little wave vibrations into something you can recognize and change back into what I transmitted to you. I mean, we try and make it the same, the same. Sometimes it gets a little lost in translation. But still, the power of that. It's amazing. So if we're thinking about the power of these thoughts and what they do to our neural transmitters in our brain and how they affect our character, then it really brings to light and reality the truth of, of, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Or when God says, the power of life and death is in your tongue because you can bring somebody who's already down and sad or hurting or whatever and you can speak death into their life and sink them deeper. You can stomp somebody in the ground with the tongue, but you can bring people to life through the words that come out of your mouth because of the upwelling of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that becomes your character and it wells up and we turn it into something beautiful or something deadly. And The Bible tells us control that tongue. Control that tongue. My recommendation, if you're a new believer and you're not really sure, is just don't talk a lot. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that would be my recommendation to young Travis. That's for sure. Stop talking. You're going to be mute for years, years, you know. And that's still a challenge today. I'm not above it all. Right. I know I have moments when something and most of the time I'm like, oh man, I can't get that back. You know, can't get that back. And you just try and mitigate it the best you possibly can. So controlling the tongue, Um, protecting our eyes, protecting our specifically men. I know that's said a lot, but I don't want it to just be, man, women, watch your eyes, too. We all have those things when and we'll talk about it in a little bit when I start into the sermon. Oh, my goodness. It's the lust of the eyes. And the world is all about that. Hollywood's all about that. Commercials are all about that. The radio's all about that. Music's all about that. All about it. My heart breaks for the younger generations. And, and it's not about us and them. We had it better. I mean, I, I start to go, man, was the world always this bad? Well, it is supposed to get worse, but there are other times you look in Sodom and Gomorrah and start reading about what was going on there. And it was pretty catastrophic. There were other bad times in the world's history that compete with the bad times that we're dealing with here today that's not to downplay where we're at now there's some craziness going on but the enemy has had control of this world for a long long time we're not the only ones but i do want to focus right now on the younger generations again for a moment that pride or the lust of the eyes is so prevalent you know i'm older i feel like i'm going and moving on in this spiritual maturity process where i remember i'll tell a real quick story is i remember, the couple went crazy anyway. But anyway, there was one point at which the wife was mad at the husband because he wouldn't avert his eyes when he was watching football and the cheerleaders came on, or some sexy commercial came on. And he wouldn't look down or look away and avert his eyes. And I even remember, and I was saved too, but I still remember hearing him telling me that, telling me that and thinking, man, that's absurd. That's weird. That's, that's a little over the board, overboard. But through time, I've kind of come to the point where I agree with her on that. Issue And said, man, yeah, the enemy is going to do everything he can to put something in my eyes that can turn into a thought that can turn into character. Hopefully he can get it to well out of my mouth and affect somebody else negatively, too. Right. We have those stupid conversations comes out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. Is that the word of Jesus or is that something you saw on the beach or something you did over the weekend that, you know, brings death? Right? Life or death. It's all connected right That Isn't that amazing? So now, (laughs) I'll start. And I'm going to be done in 23 minutes. Or so. (laughs) So if you're looking for the theme, Michelle, with her pen ready to go, is why do we need spiritual maturity? Why do we need it? I mean, it's okay to ask these questions because God wants to answer. He wants to bring revelation about these things. You know, leadership is about getting buy-in and he is our leader. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And we don't want to be like hostile. We're not trying to be rebellious, but it's okay to say, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I'm ready to go. I'm going to do whatever you say, but I'm curious. Why do I have to have spiritual maturity? Why do I have to go through this? If you brought me from death to life, isn't that enough? Can't I just stop here? And the enemy would love nothing more for you to stop there. I think I heard it from Chris and it kind of stuck in my head. The, uh, the enemy wants you to, to either not re- read the Bible, certainly not believe the Bible, and certainly if you're going to re- read it and believe it, to keep it to yourself, you know? So what can we say? As I look at this crowd here, and I don't, again, I don't know who's joining us there on, uh, on the Internet right now, but if you've been saved, then the devil lost the, most, the first and most important battle. That's done personally. Just personally. That's you. But that's amazing. It's eternal. So hold on to it. I love the revelation, the vision, the imagery that God put in my heart. It's just about that coal that was dead and black and cold. And you can blow on it and you can fan it. It is never coming back to life. You are not going to make a fire out of that coal. This is the supernatural nature of our salvation. All these things, I love. I love the Karen Leith stuff. It brings up encouragement for me. I didn't need that information to believe. I already believed. But then to learn that and go, yeah, God, I can see that. I can see the connection. That's amazing. Thank you, Lord, that you use something that I can see to bring up my faith. And we say, Lord, help me with my faith. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Well, there it is. There it is. And there's so many more examples of that. And we'll talk about scientific community pointing towards God at another time. But anyway. <clears throat> Where was I at? The coal. <laughs> the coal. There is nothing natural. There's nothing in nature that could bring that coal back to life. And we'll talk in a little bit, real soon here, about people receiving the lies of the world that tell us that we're just animals. Yeah, they're right. Outside of the Holy Spirit, all we have is, is our, our, our mind, our, our, our will, and our, and our wisdom that we think we have, and our um, character, and we have our flesh that's about it. You know, but we're called to be spirit filled people. It's supposed to be the spirit and the soul and the flesh, you know, and all those things in alignment like that are good. But without the spirit and then we're led back down to all we're doing is running around this life, trying to appease our flesh with the best abilities that we have in our wisdom, capabilities, knowledge and understanding of the world around us so there is death there there's nothing there's nothing to be brought back to life again the imagery of being dying in my sin and reaching my hand out that actually indicates some life you know and to me that kind of denies the supernatural miracle that took place when i was brought up to life from death to life i was dead i was not reaching out i wasn't grasping i wasn't looking for god i wasn't Looking for Jesus, I wasn't looking for salvation. I was a raging animal. I was full of hate and loved every minute of it. You know, I denied Christ. I denied God. I laughed and scoffed at believers. Man, Ugh, I don't even want to think about it. Testimony is not about sticking where you were, so I'm not going to stay there. I just want you to know that we all come from those places to hear, Thank you, Jesus, and to the future that Jesus has for us, which is amazing. And that's where we go for spiritual maturity. That's what we're called to do. We are called into spiritual maturity uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. That's like the very first little excerpt from the rest of the sermon, and I could spend the rest of the time on it, and I might. We don't want to be a church that stays on the foundation of the truth of the gospel and never moves forward. When we sing, when we praise, we will always speak about the gospel. And every one of these messages is going to be focused on, around, and in the gospel. And centered in the Bible and centered in the word of Christ. So that never changes. And I love the simplicity of the gospel message. And it's important that it is easy to grasp. Because those that come through the doors, these doors and are saved, are saved by the Holy Spirit. Again, back to that coal, because I know I didn't finish there. That was a spirit, supernatural thing that had to take place for that tiny little ember to come up in the middle of that cold, hard coal. And then it needed to be breathed on the spirit of life, and then the spirit, and then the, 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 the flames begin to grow and grow and grow. The enemy's already bummed out that there's a coal in there at all, but he would love nothing more than you to just set it down and let it just be a burning ember that has no value outside of the fact that you're saved, which is great, but we have loved ones all around us, right? And then what are we called to do? We're called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Well, we want this coal to be flamed into fire so that it can warm those around us so that people can look and say, how did this happen? How did you get set on fire like that? Why are you walking around in this COVID environment mellow? Why are you walking around in this chaotic time, which they always are, and you have joy and victory and you have faith in Jesus and you're not afraid of death, which I am truly not. How can you possibly like that fear of death is like the biggest thing in the world outside of knowing Jesus, right? It's like, what's the biggest fear? Death. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's on the other side. I know what's on the other side. I'm not afraid of that. I know this. Every day we joke around about being me old, and I wake up, another day, huh? You know? I wake up and I say, thank you, Lord, that I have another day. I do. But quite frankly, I pray for my family that they'll be okay. But no, it'll be okay. That on that day, I'll be like, eh. It's time. I'm good. I'm good. You know? That is the biggest fear in the world. And how do we get away from that? Somebody's going to ask sooner or later. As you grow and mature and you're expressing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, we talked about those many times, love and patience and kindness. All those things are totally counter to the ways of the world. Unselfishness, that's a huge one right there, right? That one's going to get attention pretty quick. And somebody's going to ask. Have an answer for your faith. As we grow in the word, we know how to answer the questions that are going to come. Why does God let bad things happen? Oh, man. That's, an, that's a question that comes all the time, and I even asked it. And quite frankly, and we'll talk about another, that's a whole other sermon, but it's an easy question to answer. So if we're called to be saved, and we're called to spread the gospel, and we're called to bring people into maturity, then we have to be mature, because we've got to answer that question, right? Can somebody who comes in here and is saved today be effective for the kingdom as soon as he walks out? Absolutely he can because he's carrying the Holy Spirit with him. You know? But the world is going to try and shove that Dis- disappointment and down his throat or his or her throat or make them question their salvation and all those things but it's on us to every Sunday every day every, through our fellowship build that person no here's how you answer that question here's how you answer that question oh the world came at you with that one I remember when the world came out with that one here's the Bible version, answer to that there it is right there man and then they can grow and grow and grow and build up and yeah, I'm so thankful to God that he's given us his word yeah. it is powerful We ought to be teachers. I look around here. We've been in long enough. We've been saved long enough. We should have a desire to get into prayer and get into the word so that we can be built up and be teachers. Now, not everybody's meant to come up here and be a teacher. I get that. I get that. Um, But we're all teaching through our examples. And we are all teaching individually. I know, again, I'm using you a lot today, John. You're you're my uh, example. And you have a couple friends that you've been ministering into in a small group setting. And that's intimacy. And that's a teacher and an example. Ministering into the life of somebody who's asking these questions. And prayerfully coming closer and closer and closer into salvation. And then into maturity so they can tell their friends and their friends and their friends. Just like the uh, shampoo commercial way back when. (laughs) You need milk. It's okay to need milk. Sometimes. And there are times when we'll even come together, and whether new people come through the doors or not, that it'll be kind of a milk message. And that's okay, because it's okay to reinforce and remember the basics of where we're centered on. But it's also okay, okay and fun and awesome and interesting to dig into the deeper truths, sink into those deep mysteries of who God is. And it is, it's a wild ride, you know? I got to admit, this is my first time. I'm just now finishing up Revelation. It's my first time ever going tip to tail through the Bible. And I was like, man, I just got to do this because I'm a pastor and I probably should have at least read it. I can't wait to start over again. I can't wait because it has been an amazing ride. So this I'm just throwing out to you. Follow me as my follow Jesus. Don't follow me. Follow me as my follow Jesus. Okay. Pray in the morning. Read your Bible and get tip to tail through the Bible. Because everything I'm going to speak is probably a bunch of stuff you've already heard before. Or if you say, well, I hear the Bible a lot when I go to church. Well, you hear excerpts here and there that are specific towards a specific message. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a whole lot of stuff in the in-betweens. A whole lot of really cool stuff. And I have found myself just engrossed in the Bible. It has been a blast. So, yeah, I would just encourage you in that. When he says here, it, it, uh, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And I looked at and I said, well, what does that mean? And it just kind of struck me pretty quickly and pretty easy is the details of how to live our life are hard to let go of and hard to grab a hold of. And we live in a world out there that is going to really do everything it can to twist and distort what righteousness looks like. So, we can dig into the gospel and say, Am I saved? How am I saved? I'm saved through grace, by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Am I saved forever? Yes, you are. His promises are true, His promises are permanent. It's the finished work of the cross. You're done. There's nothing you can do. Yes, that's awesome. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. But the deeper truths is where you find out one, what is right and wrong. And two, how do I apply it to my life? I was listening to something recently and they talked about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. I never really thought about that very much. And it made total sense. So hopefully it makes sense to you too. Knowledge, you you can get all kinds of knowledge. There's plenty of people that dig into the books and are very knowledgeable, but have no capacity or ability to apply that knowledge to their life. And there are plenty of wise people that know how to live a wise life that don't really dig into academia all that much. I mean, put them together. That's an amazing combination, right? That's where I want to be specifically right here. I want knowledge out of the Bible so that I can use, it, has it manifest as wisdom in my life, that I can be a better father, a better husband, a better friend, a better church leader, maybe a better lover of people that i don't even know a better lover of my enemies a wise discerner when false teachers are bringing bad theology or false theology or theology that's specifically designed to compromise the truth right that's where we need to be seeking the maturity to look and act and be more like christ for many reasons and that's actually what i was about to get get into more we're called to spiritual maturity oh But solid food is for the mature. That's where we get into those deeper mysteries and start applying that wisdom and getting that knowledge and understanding righteousness and how to apply it to our lives and how to express it. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use... By constant use, I love that because I'm a Marine and I'm a CrossFit guy and I love all this, you know, suffering to build character and all that stuff, which maybe I take that a little too far, but I do believe in it that it's constant use and training that makes you good at something. Wow, what a big revelation, right? Duh. You want to be good at guitar? Well, you got to play guitar. You want to be better? Well, you got to practice more. You want to be better at pull ups? You got to do pull ups, a lot of them. You know, you want to be better at anything then you got to do it a lot. you got to train to it. It's got to be constant. Even more here. This is not where it's magical. This is for us to know that we have to dig into prayer, get with God, and get into the Word so that we can constantly use it and train ourselves. Again, it goes back to that. Taking those thoughts, making them captive to Christ, the ones that are bad, cast them aside, turn them into something good. What was that one, that meme you just showed me, babe? If you have a bad thought, think three good thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> It was just a silly little thing, but cool. It was true because you can take that thought. Ah oh, that da 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 and go, Man, I don't want that in my life. Recognize it. That's the start right there, right? Because without the Holy Spirit and without being focused on Jesus, you would say, Oh man, that dude cut me off, he's blah 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 and just run with it. Make your decision. Yeah, he is a jerk. And I am better at everybody else than everybody else. I'm the only good driver out here. Forget these guys. I should always be teaching people how to drive. And that goes into those neuropathways. Now you've got the inputs coming from the outside. I am a great driver, confirming what you believe on the inside, because you imprinted this into your operational system. Now you've got total symbiosis, 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 help me Mia, symbiosis about how much of a jerk you are. Congratulations. So how do we break that? We are transformed by Jesus. We are transformed into a new creation. So how do we break that and change it? Well, we got to take that down. Oh, you know what? Actually, who was I just talking to? He's thinking, man, I welled up and got mad. I had an experience recently, but not long after I was like, man, what if, what if he just found out his kids injured and in the hospital? Now, that doesn't excuse us because he could get in a wreck and he's certainly not going to get the hospital any faster. But at least I can see some reason why somebody would drive like that, that possibly I would. Yeah. Panicking, stressed, yeah. your wife's in the hospital, you got to get here quick. Tears in your eye, going as fast as you can on that stupid freeway with nowhere to get around. You're just trying to get around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who would blame that person for that? But we're in our cars. We don't see people. We see jerks because we're the best driver. <laughs> <laughs> you know we seek cars we make our comments we have our thoughts i would encourage you because <laughs> that freeway, man boy that'll pull you away from christ <sighs> <laughs> to exercise that constant use and training yourself right to say ah, and then go recognize it and stop it fast give that over to jesus pray for that person yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt that their child is in the hospital say, get out of his way, man. That guy's got an emergency. You know, well, that breaks that chain because now you've imprinted a new code. And as you use it, as you train it, as you get more about it, then you turn, it turns into your character. It's not just a thought and a thought. It's going to turn into who you are. And now you're driving patiently. And now you're seeing somebody stressed out and you're giving them the balance of doubt without even going through that process. And now your neural pathways are changing those paths. And those pathways you had before are not getting used, so they die. That's awesome. I, I, man, that has just opened my eyes. It's been so wonderful. Constant use and have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Man, I am just now finishing that first paragraph, and I got like five minutes. I gave myself, probably going to go over and forget it. <sighs> To distinguish from good and evil. Because someone who walks through this door and is saved today, we can celebrate and it's amazing and we're not going to stop there. Because that person is going to have a hard time, especially during these times, going out there and distinguishing from good from evil. Because that world out there, the enemy is going to do everything he can to confuse what's right and what's wrong. To put that gray area in between right and wrong and good and evil. What's just and unjust. We're called to make disciples of the nations. I know you guys have heard this. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We must strive towards spiritual maturity if we're to bring other people into spiritual maturity. That's our call. That's the reason. One of, the next reason. To be effective against the schemes of the enemy for ourselves, for this church, for those that we are called to love and care for. And who are we called to love and care for? I'd like to touch on that real quick. It's everybody. That's a big list. Now we have our groups. We have our peer groups. We have the, our customers and clients. We have our customers and clients. We have our work partners and our, we have our bosses and we have our employees. We have friends that we go to the gym with. People we surf with that's not even just people, your people, you're surfing with everybody in the lineup, right? <clears throat> we need to be able to <clears throat> care for them and show, demonstrate maturity, to bring them into maturity also. Or really bring them into salvation and then maturity. Satan is crafty and deceptive, and he really is. But he's not creative. He's really not. If you look throughout the Bible... And the two best examples are Adam and Eve and then Jesus' temptation when he was in the wilderness. And it specifically lies out three kind of categories of temptation. It's just kind of what I'm phrasing it as now. <clears throat> the lust of the flesh. All right? That's sexual immorality and, and, and gluttony and and um, all kinds of other things. But they're, they're just pleasing the flesh in any way possible. Right? That's just so... Plain and basic and simple and laid out there. Animals try to please themselves and all this stuff. Again, it goes back to if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're just going to default right away to using everything in your capacity to please the flesh in every possible way. Right? It's just that's where your body's going to go. The depraved nature of man, the sinful nature of man. And also when you recognize that, you recognize that's being dead in sin. Let me back up a second. So if you're ever like, why am I still sinning after I've been saved? Because you've got all those neural pathways all built into your brain, but you're not dead in sin anymore. You have the spirit working against that, but it's a tiny little ember right now. And it's fighting 30 years or whatever many years of all those habits and of all those pathways. So don't be crushed by that. Repent and come back. And don't be flippant about it. But if you stumble, the devil's going to tell you, see, you're not really saved. Give up. Give up now. Now, I'm telling you, if you're saved, you're saved. But it's very easy to be, I'm saved, and walk away from the church and be ineffective. And you're still going to be held accountable because you could say, I'm saved, and God knows, and the Holy Spirit's in there, and it's a little ember, and you go live your life. You're still going to reap the rewards of all those sinful actions. I'm not even talking about in heaven, I'm talking about right here and now. I'm saved. God broke me from my sin. And then you go and you smoke a bunch of meth, and then you're dead from meth addiction. That still happened. You still destroyed your family. You still suffered through this life. But if you are saved, you were saved. And that cross, finished work of the cross is done. So why do we go into maturity? So we can change those pathways and not be a slave to sin anymore. And be effective for the kingdom. And be fanned into fire. Because what happened to that... I'm just using meth right now. Please, if somebody's online, I'm not accusing or pointing. I'm just using any example. That can be a gambler. It can be a sex addict. It could be uh, uh, somebody who's just constantly filled with hate and rage and and can't get away from it and does not lean in uh, or drugs or alcohol. It could be anything. And, And you go and you have that little ember, but you just live your life and your whole family is destroyed around you. I mean, I can't imagine there'd be sadness in heaven. And I don't know how that's going to work out. That's just a mystery I have not <laughs> found out yet or possibly ever. But I could only imagine the pain of going into salvation and knowing you were called to save these people. You know, one of the destroyers of the ability of a of a the biggest destroyers of the ability of somebody who's saved to represent the kingdom is perceived hypocrisy. Right? Even if it's not really hypocrisy, it's a young Christian who's learning and stumbles and has to come back and stumbles. up We got this obligation that the world is watching and asking questions, right? Now we're bringing into maturity. We're really going, man, where do I have a perceived hypocrisy that I'm compromising my testimony? If I'm compromising my testimony, it's not about me. It's hurting those around me that I'm called to love. And that's not even just love your enemy. I'm talking about like my intimate family, Right? My mom, how do I minister into her life? It has to be through how I live my life. And she has to see spiritual maturity. She's going to come at me with those questions. You've met my mom. I love you, mom. (laughs) I do. And I love the questions. But if I don't have spiritual maturity, I'm not going to be able to answer those questions. If I don't have spiritual maturity, I'm actually going to example unwell. Or actually accidentally example hypocrisy. And give ammunition to the enemy, right? That's asking those questions. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, again, Hollywood, commercials, advertising, music, just the world around you is just rampant. I I went into that story about averting your eyes. That is something that came to me as a revelation that took a long time. But um, I would encourage you, especially men, but, but everybody, if there's something on TV that comes up, it's okay to get up and go get a glass of water when the dance team's going on or whatever, you know. I work out here in this gym, and I love it, and I love everybody here. But there's some weird little things. We talked about it a little bit, right? Uh, Weird little adjustments you make that I don't think people think is a big deal, but is, that are not believers. We set up our bars here to do snatches, right? It's a movement, like this, you know? That was a perfect one, by the way. (laughs) But if a girl sets her bar here, and I have to be right, right behind her, and they wear short shorts sometimes, or, and and I got it. then I have to either figure out a way to look at the ground and the sky, or go somewhere else. I usually try and get in the front of the line, then I'll have to deal with that. You know, and that's a little adjustment that I don't think the world thinks is a big deal. I'm sure somebody's saying, oh, you really don't want to be there because it's behind her and da, da, da. you've got to protect your eyes, and the, it's the lust of the eyes that can entice you to thoughts and whatever. So. Men will be like, that's no big deal, blah, blah, blah. But they just don't know yet. That's where that spiritual maturity comes in. It is a big deal, and it has an impact. But they don't understand that yet. They're still drinking milk, if they're drinking milk at all, right? But it's good on us to know these things and act on those things because it does represent well, and people are watching. And people are asking questions. And people will say, well, what do you think of da-da-da? I say, well, here's how I handle that. I can still go to CrossFit and da-da-da. I go over there. I look at the ground and I look at the sky. You know, that's it. I close my eyes sometimes. You got to do whatever you got to do. You know. Again, it goes back to that: the ways of the gospel or ridiculousness in the eyes of the world. I know I'm paraphrasing this right now, and it totally makes sense to me because outside of the Holy Spirit and that ember glowing, it seems like ridiculous to the ridiculousness the, to those that don't have that ember. Yeah. I'd even say it's at that point it's not even their fault yet because they don't know the difference. They're dead in their sin. You know, they're not wrestling with something. And the pride of life, which I would say is the biggest one there because it leads to all the others. That desire, if you look again, the two great examples are, um, like Eve saw the food and it looked like it'd be good for her stomach. It'd be good tasting it, or it would be good for filling her stomach. And, uh, and that was the, the lust of the flesh, right? And she saw, and it looked pleasing to her eye, that It was gleaming and nice and pretty and beautiful, you know, sin's like that. You know, it's always gleaming and nice and pretty, you know. It's never never what it is. I think Justice and I were having a conversation just about how the enemy works, how the devil works. And I would say there's all these horror movies, and if the devil comes right now and he's like, ah, crazy, and you're like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus, save me from that madness right there. That's just not a very good tactic, (laughs) you know, not a very good tactic. But what is a good, smart tactic on the, again, I'm not giving the devil any credit other than saying he's crafty. And he's always been because he was in the garden and he was being crafty and he failed with Jesus. He's been very crafty with his words and his attitude. So he'll come up to you as a very, very nice, beautiful angel. Say he comes, he presents himself as an angel of light. You know, I'm digging in Revelation, man. It's not monsters coming out, at least not yet. It's bringers of peace. You know, oh, he brought the world together. It's so peaceful. He's so sweet. Oh, he's speaking against Jesus and stuff. But that's okay because he's bringing everybody together. And it's sweet and beautiful. And and it has that flavor to it that people are going to want to grab hold of and get in alignment with and compromise the testimony, which we're going to get into very shortly. So, and then that pride of (laughs) life. Sorry, baby. (laughs) is all about pridefulness and attaining uh, Power and pride and position and authority because the last part of that was you can be like God that's why the devil was thrown out of heaven because he said I can I can reign like God I can be God I can be God you know that was the very same temptation that the killed the to put sent the devil out of heaven that Adam and Eve fell to because they said "Mm, it looks good for my stomach oh it's beautiful to my eyes I can be like God I don't need his authority anymore I can stand on my own because I'm proud and I have position and I have authority. And then with that, I can strive for money and things. Now I'm back into the pride of the eyes and then I can satisfy my desires and do whatever I want to. Now I'm back into the lust of the flesh. See how that's all connected? The enemy is crafty. He's not creative. It's the same trash that's been going on since Garden of Eden. Now, he presented all three of those, and I won't go into detail right now, (laughs) to Jesus. And he failed in all those things. But I can tell you once right now is the reason and the way that Jesus conquered those three temptations was he went right to the word of God. Right to the word. Every temptation that came out of the devil, Jesus refuted with the word of God. This is what God says about that. I'll have none of it. That's my hero. man. Weird how things hit you sometimes, right? Just kind of sideways. We strive for maturity in order to recognize, point out, and respond to those temptations for ourselves, for our church, for our family, for our friends, for our peer groups, and for those that we don't even know yet outside those doors. The enemy will attempt to blur the line between what is right and what is wrong. Subjective truth. You ever heard that term before? Subjective truth, which I put a slash in there, subjective morality. And it's kind of connected my next little thing here I put is the enemy will attempt to convince us that there is no wrong. That we're just animals. If it feels good, then it's right. I put in there a little thing I was thinking about. I go, okay, if by that line of reasoning, you could say it's not my fault. I was born a murderer. If I'm born a murderer, you can't hold me accountable for murdering somebody. That's how that, that subjective truth and morality can really be so fluid that it has no substance to it at all. Truth, morality are very objective. That's very unpopular in the world. And that truth comes out of the Bible. And that morality was given to us by God. You can know good and evil without God. Pride of the, pride of that pride of life, right? We don't want that. Because if everybody has a different opinion and idea of what's true and what's right then we're going to have anarchy and everybody can just kill each other there's no freedom in that that's slavery tolerance is intolerant to intolerance it all comes back on itself there's no value to it but the world has embraced it again i go back to being afraid for the younger ones because that is the prevalent attack that's going on current So when I say the world's getting worse and it's been worse and it's been better and all that stuff, where we're at right now is this is the method that I believe the enemy's using on our young generations now is to distort truth and to distort morality and say, whatever you think is right is right. You can make the decision because you're like God. Is that okay? No, it's not. You know that. But what about your peers at school? You know? Thank God you're there to be the light in the life. And I know what your situation is, but in your current situation, we talked about that. You're called to be where you're called to be. And that's where your light shines. And I know in that gaming world, there's a whole lot of people that are holding on to that subjective truth, subjective morality thing that the enemy is just pumping, pumping into this generation. So you're going to have to stand fast in the midst of that. And I'll come alongside you. We're with you. We'll be praying for you. You know, you, you, these younger generations, and we're subject to it too, you know, but I think the focus of effort for the enemy right now is your generations, 20s, teens, yeah, young 30s, (laughs) teens, absolutely. As you go into that world, you're going to have to hold fast to that. I'd say read that Ephesians about the armor of God, man. You're going to have to armor up, armor up, and then you're going to have to weaponize. I love it. Because we're not these soft little, oh, Jesus loves you, but we're going to sit here under the thumb of the enemy. You were not called to be that. You're called to be armored up with the, with the protection that God gives us and armored with the weapons that have been provided. To continually use, constant use, and trained on. To defeat and thwart the schemes of the enemy for your behalf and to those to your left and right. <clears throat> This deception of, it's not my fault, I was born to be a murderer, or the deception of, like, we're just animals. Uh, quite frankly, I read that, I was thinking about it, and I go, in that aspect, they're right, because outside of the Holy Spirit, we are just in that animal mode, right? Um, so that, that, that idea of you can do what you want if it feels good and there is no wrong does appeal to those that are dead in sin. You know, of course they're going to gravitate towards that. The end, but there is no, and I wanted to put, there is no, there's no. it's not okay. There's no, it's not like, well, they were born like that and they haven't been brought to life. No, it specifically says in the Bible that the light came into the world and the world hated the light. Why? Because it wanted to relish in what it wanted to do. That absolves that, that um, what do you call it? Uh, that responsibility. That takes away that, that absolution of responsibility. There's still a responsibility on part of this world through general revelation and Jesus showing and proving who he is and what he can do. and then the enemy will attempt to convince us that there are no consequences and if there are no consequences then you might as well do what you want and I point specifically to I put on here YOLO you know you only live once do what you want it's okay YOLO Uh, you're already getting embarrassed I love it (laughs) YOLO what do you do like this YOLO do what you want you only live once well that can go two ways right The way I look at it, I think it came out the way where you can do what you want and you only live once, so you might as well just enjoy life because there's nothing after this, and that's just straight-up humanistic atheism. But that's not truth. That is not truth. And then we can go into all kinds of scientific reasonings that atheism is, like, crashed. You know, it's just being pushed as a false narrative. False narrative. It's like such a... Anyway... And it's been so debunked, even in the scientific realm, which kind of has pulled back from speaking it out because they're afraid. But you do only live once. But you can live once right here, right now and have eternal value. Or you can live only once and have no value. There's a revelation that kind of came. I think it was actually just somebody talking. I said, man, that's a good way of putting it. We are all destined to live forever. That's pretty cool. Well, not really. Because you're destined to live in one of two places forever, right? So are your friends, again, because you could be like, well, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want and party with the devil. You know, that is ridiculousness because ain't nobody partying. The devil doesn't even want to be there. The demons don't want to be there you think you're going to go down there and because you were evil during life that the the, the devil's going to wrap his arm around you. And be like, yeah, now you're a leader with me here and we're going to party and have fun. You know, that is just ridiculousness. That is a lie of the enemy. And people have grabbed a hold of that. And they are going to be sorely mistaken. And my prayer is that that changes between now and when they actually pass away. Before it's too late. Again, those very same people we need to be praying for. Because they're going to be spinning off into an eternity that they're not prepared for. And our hearts should be broken. And then there's others that are going to be fooled into believing that they were nice people and that they were good enough and that God won't create hell. And that's a whole other sermon. Again, that speaks to the maturity of where we need to be back because those are the questions that are going to be asked. And there are answers, good answers, strong answers, true answers. But we need to be able to have that answer for our faith. The enemy will offer compromises. Um... John Cooper. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the vocalist, lead vocals and bassist for a band called Skillet. And he was just interviewed recently. And it, I was blown away by how awesome it was. And it was just an example of how the devil will have compromises. And Skillet's a really hard rock, hard rock band. They're great. And, um, and they're a Christian band. And they were doing a, um, a tour with a bunch of other bands, secular bands. You know, but they were rocking it. And they were killing it. And all these guys were like in their young teens 20s whatever younger bands and he had already been like on the music scene for like i think he said like 15 years at that point excuse me before he had his first like big secular hit and all these um record agency execs i don't remember the one he specifically was mentioning and he said the guy said like man you got the look you got the sound we can make you one of the top bands in the world right now. I guarantee, here's the bands I've worked with. You know them, right? Yeah. Okay, they're top, and you will be one of them. And you've got this spirituality going on about you, and that's really cool with the kids right now. You know, but he kept saying that spirituality, spirituality. He goes, one thing I just have to be blunt and say, this is the only thing that's kind of a deal breaker and that I think you need to do for us to be able to work with you and get you there is you just really got to stop specifying jesus in this you got to stop saying that name you got to stop having it be specific to jesus but dude you're not giving up anything because if we make you a super billionaire then you can do all these great things for the kingdom that you're speaking about without actually having to speak it you know what i'm saying and that just did not sit well with him this is a guy that had every opportunity to grab a hold of everything the world offers And even if he was righteous enough to get into it and know I can use this for God's kingdom without speaking Jesus, he knew that was wrong. And that was a deal breaker for him. And he had to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he said, no. I was totally inspired by that. I mean, wow. I mean, being offered everything, everything. And he said, no, I cannot refrain from speaking in the name of Jesus. And the enemy will attempt to compromise the church, false prophets, false teachers. I know I'm skipping over this. I tell you, I'm going to skip over and go pretty fast right now because it is late. And I'm probably going to do the rest on why we're called to go is going to be a part two. And it's going to be a little more detailed on false teachers, false prophets, and the compromising of Jesus's church. But I do want to read this Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. <laughs> Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's, enemies will be remember- a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever finds their life here on earth and prioritizes that above having eternal value and laying it down before Jesus is doomed to lose it for eternity. And whoever loses their life, the altar of my life to represent Jesus Christ for my sake will find it, will find eternal life. I know these are harsh statements. I specifically brought this out. People will bring up, this is a book of peace, this is a book of peace, and they're all books of war and hate. My Bible back there, that Bible, our Bible, is a book of peace because it brings peace between us and God. An undeserved peace as we turned against our eternal Father. And he still made a covenant relationship ability. And if we grasp that, there's peace. And there's peace here on earth as we're at enmity with the world, the world system. We still love the people in the world as Jesus loved the people right in the world, but not of the world. We're here with a mission to be brought into maturity so we can bring up into maturity through a place of love. But I can also say that that book is not completely a book of peace because Jesus is not at peace with the world system. That book is meant to bring the sword. I get so tired and so sick of, oh, Jesus loves you and this little pacifist. Jesus was a pacifist and this and that. Man, that turns a lot of men away from Christianity, myself included. That sad, sad, fat, soft little nerd talking about love and peace and lameness, (laughs) you know. But he had it wrong. And that doesn't mean anything. There are all kinds of different Christians and that's fine. But the reality of it is, in the midst of Christianity Christianity is enmity with the ways of the world because it's, it's, it's controlled by the enemy that's trying to bring death, eternal death to God's people. And the people out there, we are called to put on that armor to protect ourselves. Maturity. And we're called to draw that sword. Maturity. And know how to use it by constant use and training ourselves to strike down. To strike down the enemy with boldness, conviction of character that was t- developed over time as the Holy Spirit moved us and changed those thought patterns. And I'm done, because it's way over time right now. Oh, Lord. If you would, let's just stand and pray. I know that's an abrupt stop, but i got to land this thing somewhere, and we're probably going to have to go back over this more. Okay. Oh, well, thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up with a long sermon, even though I always say it's going to be uh, short. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've developed us and designed us in your image, that as we're brought from death to life, that you designed us to be transformed and transformable. Lord, we lift our lives up to you, Father God, that you can change us and mold us and use us to bring about your kingdom Lord, let our lives have eternal value. Let us be people that yearn for righteousness. As you bring us into maturity, we can see the right and the wrong. Let us yearn for righteousness. Show us our stumbling blocks. Show us the trip wires so we can cut them or step over them and point them out to other people. Let us be bold, strong, warrior people for your causes, for your kingdom bringing about your eternity, Father God. We wait with joy and victory and anticipation for your return, that you would strike down the enemy for good. But we also rest in patience, because we know that your patience comes from a place of love, that you can't destroy the world now, because there there still are people that need to hear your message and respond to your call. Save your people, Father God save your people. There is only one name by which man can be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. Our eyes are focused on you. You are worthy of this and so much more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just lift you up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So next week, we just kind of now next weekend Sunday is Easter we will have church here as normal at 10 o'clock it's also communion and then we are planning on having a little brunch at our house Jill and Travis's house if you don't know who that is and uh, that would be at about after church whenever I'm done running my lips (laughs) yeah right okay and you're all invited so please you know um, feel free to come over I think it'd be a good time Thank you for being here. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.